0: Being in a good mood is really great, and most languages have lots of words to describe the experience, like happy, cheerful, joyful, and so on. The same goes for the languages of the Bible. In ancient biblical Hebrew, there's a variety of words, like simcha, sason, or gil. In the Greek New Testament, there's kara, euphersune, or ageliasis. Each word has its own unique nuance, but they all basically refer to the feeling of joy Now, what makes these biblical joy words interesting is noticing the kinds of things that bring happiness and also seeing how joy is a key theme that runs through the whole story of the Bible. Let's start with sources of joy. On page one of the Bible, God says that this world is very good. And so naturally, people find joy in beautiful and good things of life, like growing flocks or an abundant harvest on the hills. The poet of Psalm 104 says a good bottle of wine is God's gift to bring joy to people's hearts. People find joy at a wedding or in their children. There's even a Hebrew proverb that compares the joy that perfume brings to your nose with the joy a good friend brings Mm. to your heart. However, human history isn't just a joy fest. The biblical story shows how we live in a world that's been corrupted by our own selfishness. It's marked by death and loss. And this is where biblical faith offers a unique perspective on joy. It's an attitude God's people adopt not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. So when the Israelites were suffering from slavery in Egypt, God raised up Moses to lead them into freedom, and the first thing the Israelites did was sing for joy. Even though they were in the middle of a desert, they were vulnerable, the promised land was still far away, they rejoiced anyway. Later biblical poets looked back on this story, and they remembered how the Lord caused his people to leave with joy, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. This joy in the wilderness, this was a defining moment. A way of saying that the joy of God's people is not determined by their struggles, but by their future destiny. This theme appears later in Israel's story, when Israel suffered under the oppression of foreign empires. The prophet Isaiah looked for a day when God would raise up a new deliverer like Moses. That's when those redeemed by the Lord will return to Zion with glad shouts, with eternal joy crowning their heads. Happiness and joy will overtake them. And while the Israelites waited, they chose joy to anticipate their future redemption. This is why it's significant that when Jesus of Nazareth was born, it was announced as good news that brings great joy. We're told that Jesus himself rejoiced and gave thanks to God his Father when he began to announce the kingdom of God. He even taught his followers the same joy in the wilderness, saying, when people reject you or persecute you for following me, rejoice, be very glad, because your reward is great in heaven. After his death and resurrection, Jesus commissioned his followers to go out and announce the good news that he was the risen king of the world. And as they did so, the early Christian communities were known for being full of joy, even when they were persecuted. (laughs) Like when the apostle Paul was sitting in a dirty Roman prison, he could say that he's chosen joy even if he gets executed. He called this the joy of faith, or joy in the Lord. He believed it was the gift of God's Spirit, a sign that Jesus' presence is with you, inspiring hope in the midst of hardship. And when you believe that Jesus' love has overcome death itself, joy becomes reasonable in the darkness of circumstances. Now, this doesn't mean that you ignore or suppress your sorrow. That's not healthy or necessary. Paul often expressed his grief about missing loved ones or losing friends or his own freedom. He called it being full of sorrow and yet rejoicing. As he acknowledged his pain, he also made a choice to trust Jesus that his loss wouldn't be the final. This is very different from the trite advice to turn that frown upside down. Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and love. And that's what biblical joy is all about.
1: Amen. Before we dive into the message today, I just want to recognize a couple that are here today. Mr. Joey, would you stand up? An angel... Fresh back from boot camp. So you guys both have leave for how long? Two weeks, Joey? Go back on Thursday. So uh, they're cracking the whip with you a little more, huh? Well, thank you guys so much for your service to our country. We know that sometimes it's very, very difficult being away from your families uh, but we're very proud of you guys. And let me just pray with you while you guys are standing. Lord, we lift up to you Joey and Angel. Lord, they're such an important and loved part of this church family. And, Lord, it is just an honor and privilege for us to have them with us today, this last Sunday before Christmas. We pray that they would enjoy every day that they have with their families this week. And I pray, God, as they go back to continue serving you in the U.S. Armed Forces, Lord, that you would just put your hand of protection over them. Uh, Lord, that you would give them courage and strength and perseverance. We pray that you would put other Christians in their paths to keep them solid and strong in their faith and give them opportunities to point others to Christ. Uh, Lord, we thank you for these two. Bless them and their families this Christmas week. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. So over the last few weeks, we've been diving into God's Word and looking more carefully at the hope and the peace and the love that was brought to us on that first Christmas. We saw that hope came to us on that first Christmas because Jesus Christ came to us on that first Christmas, and Jesus is the source of hope. Amen? And we saw that peace came to us on that first Christmas because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And last week we saw that love came on that first Christmas because God is love, amen? And Jesus is God, so therefore Jesus is love. So love incarnate came on that first Christmas. And today we're going to dive into God's Word and see that that wonderful, lasting, abiding joy came to us on that first Christmas because Jesus is joy. I want to encourage you to have your Bibles with you today along with those message notes and a pen or pencil to uh, jot down some notes to fill in some blanks today. And uh, we're going to start off in just a few minutes in Luke, the third book in the New Testament, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. We'll get to that in just a few minutes. And as you're turning there, I want to make sure that this message is bathed in prayer. So would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much We thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming on Christmas, and we pray, O God, that as we come to you, many of us, Lord, with heavy hearts or difficulties or sorrows today or problems, Lord, we all have problems, Lord, I pray that we would in this moment be able just to kind of push those aside and focus on you, because there is truth, there is healing, there is strength, and there is joy in you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In everyday English, the words uh, happy and joyful are pretty much used interchangeably. So uh, many people this week uh, talking about Christmas will describe it as a happy occasion. Uh, Many others will look at Christmas Day and describe it as a joyous occasion. Uh, Both groups of people pretty much mean the same thing. Happy and joy are used interchangeably. Uh, But interestingly, one of the reasons I wanted to share this message with you today is because biblical joy is so much different, so much deeper than what most Americans are referring to when they speak of joy or happiness. In the Bible, happiness and joy are really not the same thing. Let's start with happiness. 25 years ago, I came across this book called Life on the Edge, written by Dr. James Dobson. Uh, those of you who are middle to older adults will be especially familiar with James Dobson. Some of the younger generation doesn't know him, but uh, he was famous for starting the Focus on the Family broadcast in the early 1980s, and and hosted that broadcast for I think at least 20 years. And so, Doctor Dobson, a well-known, respected psychologist. And Christian leader, and he wrote this book, Life on the Edge, back in around 1990, specifically designed for teens and young adults. And early in that book, he makes this statement. He wasn't the first to say this, but he was the first that I read to say it. And James Dobson basically said, happiness is based on happenings. If your happenings that are taking place around you are good, you will tend to be happy. If the happenings around you are kind of lousy, you'll tend to be unhappy. He says, but joy is much different. Joy is much, much deeper. And and that really stuck with me these past 25 years, that happiness is based primarily on happenings. I really liked how he said that, and I really liked in that video, over the next half hour, we'll be unpacking some of the things that were said in the video. The guy talks really fast, so you may have missed a few of these. I want to highlight a few of the things that were said that were so good in that little overview of joy video we saw a few minutes ago. One of the things that they said was, joy in the wilderness is a defining moment in Israel's history. Joy in the wilderness is a defining moment in Israel's history. You think about it, although the Israelites had just been set free from slavery in Egypt, there were lots of excuses that they could give for the situation they were going through and why they should have a lousy attitude. There's lots of excuses they could have come up with for not celebrating, not rejoicing. There are lots of gripes and complaints they could come up with. Uh, For instance, uh, Pharaoh was chasing them in that first few weeks. Uh, They were living in makeshift tents. The food wasn't great. The water was scarce. And it was taking forever to get to the promised land. A trip that should have taken maybe a few months took them 40 years. There was a lot they could complain about. And as you know, most of you, the history of the people of Israel going through the wilderness, they did complain about all of those things at some time or another. There were so many things that they could complain about over those 40 years. Many of them chose to complain. Instead of choosing to rejoice, God had designed that to be a defining moment. In the midst of your difficulties, in the midst of your challenges, I want you to choose joy. And the majority of the adults in the Israelite community said, thanks but no thanks. Most of them chose despair over rejoicing. They chose disbelief over faith. They chose hopelessness over hope in God's promises. And as a result, with only two exceptions... Uh, Caleb and Joshua, with only those two exceptions, no adult who had left Egypt was able to cross into the promised land 40 years later. Only two men of the hundreds of thousands were allowed to cross. For all time, God, God wanted Israel to know in no uncertain terms that he expects his people to choose joy. Which leads us to this wonderful definition of joy that was given in the video. We'll put it on the screen for you. It's really a great definition. Joy is an attitude. It's an attitude that God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. Isn't that good? Let's read this together. Joy is an attitude that God's people adopt not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. I want to thank the ten of you that read that with me. Now let's all do it together. Joy is an attitude that God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. When they were acknowledging that Jesus, well, I should say a little more specifically in their day, when the people in Israel were acknowledging that God was sovereign in charge of their circumstances and that he could bring them through because of his love and because of his promise, the people of Israel did okay. But when they forgot that or pushed that truth aside, they had some problems, didn't they? When they were wandering in the wilderness, it was not a sin for the Jewish people to recognize that the water was scarce or that the food was bland or that the ground was hard that they were sleeping on. But it was a sin for them to be ungrateful to God. It was a sin for them to fix their thoughts and their attitudes on their crummy circumstances instead of focusing their thoughts and attitudes on the God who transcended their circumstances. Does that make sense? So it's not a sin to acknowledge that your situation stinks. But where you focus your perspective, your attitude, your thoughts, your heart's affections makes all the difference in the world. One of my favorite Christmas movies, maybe you've been watching some Christmas movies the last few weeks. We watched It's a Wonderful Life last night. Anyone seen that yet this Christmas season? Wow, what a bunch of stick in the muds. No one has seen It's a Wonderful Life this Okay, we've got a couple over here. All right, we've got Joyce has. Really, the Wild family hasn't seen it this year yet? Amazing. So, that's a great one we saw last night. But last weekend, it was one of my favorites. A Charlie Brown Christmas. Isn't that a great little movie? And the kids like it because it's short. So, if they don't like it, at least it's over fast. So, The Charlie Brown Christmas, early in the movie, Linus is talking to his good buddy, Charlie Brown. You remember what Linus says. He says, Charlie Brown, you're the only person I know who can take a wonderful season like Christmas and turn it into a problem. The only one I know that can take a wonderful season like Christmas and turn it into a problem. A lot of us have that same problem as Charlie Brown, don't we? We turn it into a problem. Let's be honest. Many of us are looking back on 2018, and and as we're honest with ourselves and others, we look back at 2018 and say, honestly, it was kind of a rotten year. It was kind of a crummy year. Some of us are looking back on 2018, and we say, you know what? It was kind of a lousy year because I lost my job, or I had to move because I couldn't pay for my rent or my mortgage. Others of us lost loved ones in this 2018 year, and it still weighs heavily on us. Now, for some of us, we're at our first Christmas without that loved one. Others of us have had health diagnoses that were difficult. Uh, I just in the past week or so was over at uh, Fernando Lopez's house. That family's struggling as he's dealing with stage 4 cancer. And it's just invading his throat and esophagus. He can't even swallow food or water. And so he's on that feeding tube and he's getting so discouraged. It's hard when the doctor gives us that diagnosis of cancer or some other illness. Some of us look back on 2018 and when we're honest, we just say, it was kind of a lousy year. It's kind of a lousy year. But this Christmas season, right in front of our noses, is this glorious truth that God is with us. Because Jesus Is with us. And Jesus brings us hope, and Jesus brings us peace, and Jesus brings us love, and Jesus brings us great joy. Look at that passage that I had you turn to in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news of, what was that again? Great joy that will be for most of the people, most except for you. It's not what it says, is it? Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to everyone else but you. A Savior has been born to, 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 tell the person next to you, to you. And he is Christ the Lord. This time of year, I like to remind you of how crummy the shepherds had it in Jesus' day. Those shepherds didn't have it very well, did they? It was a terrible situation for shepherds. They were basically considered half-human. They weren't counted in the census because Rome didn't think they were worthy to be counted in the census. They didn't have to return to their hometowns. They had watched the sheep a week earlier, a month earlier, a year earlier, and they could stay right there watching the sheep through the census. If we had Mike Rowe existing 2,000 years ago doing his dirty job show, he would have done a whole episode of, on being a shepherd in those days. These people were rejected by their society, by their culture. They weren't allowed to go into the synagogue to worship. They weren't allowed to go to the temple to worship. They were nobodies. They were outcasts. They had this stinky, dirty, smelly job. And one of the reasons they were rejected by popular culture is because if you've ever been around a sheep that's free grazing out on the hillside, those sheep get messy. Put, Put that next photo up. This poor little guy, man, he's out there just trying to graze, and all the hay and stray grass and weeds just stick to that wool. And to those sheep, you know, they get the burrs stuck in them. And so sometimes uh, during the season where all of this wild growth is taking place, sometimes every single day that shepherd has to pick stuff off that sheep or lamb's wool. And it's not just the stuff out on the hillside that sticks to them. Their peas sticks to them. Their poo sticks to them. When they're bleeding, the blood sticks to them. And so these shepherds on a regular basis are getting covered in, in sheep, pee, and poo, and blood. And all the other stuff they're dealing with out on the hillsides. So they were considered unclean. This was, without a doubt, a dirty, messy, smelly job. You didn't go to a, a shepherd and ask them for their secret for deodorant or perfume. These guys just stunk to high heaven, and no one wanted to be around them. And so interestingly, the angel is sent to some stinky shepherds out on the hillside outside of Bethlehem. And then the angels join the messenger angel in saying, we bring you good news of great joy. Well, it had been an awfully long time since the shepherds had been told some really good news. And whatever amount of joy they had experienced in life, it was far from being great joy. This was a strange announcement to these shepherds. They were terrified. They thought they had to be in trouble because people didn't come to visit them, let alone angels from heaven. Now, I want you to notice something very significant. If you were to go down a few more verses there in Luke 2, take a look at verse 20. This is a verse we sometimes kind of gloss over the first part of this verse when we come to the end of this reading from Luke 2. So the angel comes comes and says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill to men. The angels are celebrating in the night sky. They're telling him, To you a Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. And remember what the shepherds say to each other. Hey, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that the angels have have told us about. So they go to Bethlehem. They look around. They find the baby in the manger, just as they had been told. They worship that baby. They're overjoyed. And as they leave that manger scene, this is what we read in verse 20. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. We usually don't pay much attention to the first three words in this verse. The shepherds returned. Returned to where? Well, clearly they returned to the, to the fields, right? Isn't that interesting? We don't think about this or talk about this very often. These shepherds had just laid their eyes on the Son of God in human form. They had just seen the Savior, Christ the Lord, the one through whom the entire universe had been created. They had been some of the first human beings on earth to lay their eyes on the creator of the universe. And that being the case, we would kind of expect, wouldn't we, we would kind of hope that their crummy situation would change. We we, would kind of expect if all of a sudden, out of the blue... President Trump gives us a phone call and says, hey, I need to meet with you and and, and tell you something really important. And we would go and meet with the President of the United States. We would kind of think that our circumstances and situation would somehow change. And maybe if I'm one of only a small handful on the planet to experience meeting this great leader, and the greatest one I could think of in our perspective in 2018, and we know Trump ain't no Jesus, Some of you like that comment, huh? So, I promise, no more political comments in the message. So, if you get to meet Jesus, you would expect your situation to change, right? And yet, these shepherds return to those same fields that they had come from. They had been dealing with stinky, smelly sheep the day before they met Jesus. And after they meet Jesus, they're still dealing with stinky, smelly sheep. Their situation did not change. Their circumstances did not change. They weren't given a better job offer. They weren't given an opportunity to shower and clean up so they wouldn't smell so bad. They weren't given by Jesus a VIP pass to the synagogue so now all of a sudden they can start going to synagogue like a normal Jewish person could. None of that. They go back to that exact same stinky, smelly situation, but they went back completely changed, didn't they? They went back changed. Their attitude changed. They returned to this cold and stinky fields rejoicing. Their circumstances didn't change, but their attitude had changed. Joy, as we saw in that video, joy is an attitude that God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. The angel told the shepherds that he had come to bring good news of great joy. And within a few short minutes, the shepherds came to understand something that we often fail to understand. Good news of great joy can never be found in our circumstances or in our jobs or in our approval ratings in popular culture. Good news of great joy can only be found in Jesus. can only be found in Jesus. Beside my desk, I have a little plaque next to my desk here in the FCC office that our Secretary Hawley got for me a few years back. And she knew it was one of my favorite quotes. I share it with, with you every once in a while. It's a quote from the 17th century monk, Brother Lawrence. And that little placard next to my desk says this, I turn my little omelet in the pan for the love of God. I love that little quote. Brother Lawrence was given the crummiest position in the monastery where he was. No one wanted to be the cook. You think it's hard cooking for your family at Christmas time? Try cooking for a monastery full of grumpy single men. No one wanted to be the cook. And for whatever reason, they made Brother Lawrence the cook. And so he walked into that dank kitchen, and he got out his little pan, and he cracked his egg and dropped it into the pan, put it on the flame. And as joy just came over him as he penned those words, I turn my little omelet in the pan for the love of God. I love that little quote. Brother Lawrence embraced the same truth that the shepherds embraced on that first Christmas. Joy transcends our crummy circumstances because joy, true joy, is grounded in Jesus Many years ago, I'm told that a Russian countess accepted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. And so she was excited about Jesus, and she was telling anyone who would listen. And the Tsar pretty much got tired of hearing this countess talk about Jesus. So that Russian leader, that Tsar, decided to throw her into one of his worst prison cells. He put her in one of the worst prison cells, uh, surrounded by some of the most notorious and wicked and deprived prisoners in Russia. And he put her in that prison cell. and about 24 hours, he brought her back out and asked that she come into his presence. And here's what that Tsar said to her. He said, with a smug look on his face, are you ready now to renounce your silly faith and come back to the pleasures of the court you know what she said in response? The czar couldn't believe what came out of her mouth. She, with a smile on her face, said, I have known more real joy and more real happiness in one day in prison with Jesus than I have known in a lifetime in the courts of the czar. Wow! What an amazing realization that she had come to. That a prison cell with Jesus at your side is much better than luxury without Him. Because true joy is found in Jesus. At the end of the video we watched a few minutes ago, the narrator shared this powerful truth that you possibly missed because it was said so fast. Here's what he said. Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and love. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Would you read that with me as well, please? Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and love. That's better. That was about 20 people that time. All together this time. Here we go. Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and love. Do you agree with that statement? That joy is a profound decision. It is not an emotion, it is not something that comes by accident, it's not something you stumble upon, it is a profound decision. Almost without exception when we are feeling discouraged and we're down in the dumps, we're fixated on the circumstances around us. We can't see the forest for the trees. We have a pile of bills to pay, our kids are driving us up the wall, our joints hurt, and our dog doesn't like us anymore. We're fixated on the circumstances around us. It feels like we're drowning in an ocean of problems because it's especially true that when we go through this life, and sometimes it's especially true when we go through this season of Christmas, the problems seem to be a bit bigger for many of us. But it's especially important at these times to remember that joy is a profound decision. It's a decision to focus on Jesus' life, not on your life. It's a decision to focus on Jesus' love, not on your own hate for the stuff you're dealing with. Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in Jesus Christ. I want you to turn to the book of joy. That's the book of Philippians. Turn to Philippians. It truly is the book of joy. If you're ever feeling down in the dump, spend some time in Philippians. It's such an encouraging book. We'll look at a a few verses here together today, but that's just a smidgen of the joy that we can find in this great book. So in Philippians chapter 1, As Paul is beginning to write this letter to the Christians there in the city of Philippi, he says this, starting in verse 3 of chapter 1. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. From the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Does Paul sound pretty joyful in these verses? Do you remember where Paul was when he wrote the book of Philippians? He was on an island on vacation in Tahiti, right? He was surfing on uh, on the shores of Maui, right? He's in a jail cell. With chains and shackles. He's chained in a jail cell. And what does he say? I thank my God every time I remember you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. What an amazing thing for a man in the slammer to be saying. There he is in the clink and he is rejoicing. He's rejoicing, filled with joy. Wow, what an amazing thing. He's wearing chains and he's rejoicing. How was this possible? It was possible because Paul had chosen joy. He had made a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and love. And Paul so much wanted his fellow Christians to make this same profound decision of faith. That's why Paul urges us over in chapter 3 of Philippians, verse 1, he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord, regardless of what you're going through. Don't forget where I am. I'm in the slammer. If I can rejoice in this prison cell, then you can rejoice too. Finally, rejoice in the Lord. And in case they did what some of us do when we're reading Scripture in our devotion time, we we get halfway down the page and realize we weren't paying attention. In case they were reading chapter 3 and they weren't paying attention at verse 1, look at chapter 4, verse 4. He drives the point home so they will not miss it. Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord most of the time. No. Rejoice in the Lord the vast majority of the time. Rejoice in the Lord always. Did you miss that? I will say it again. Rejoice. No way they could have missed that. Do you suppose we have a, a mistranslation here? Do you think maybe chapter 4, verse 4 is a mistranslation? Do you think maybe we don't have that correct in the English? Maybe if we go back to the original Greek, we would discover that Paul is saying, Rejoice in the Lord almost always. Rejoice in the Lord every day except for Mondays and every other Friday. No, you go back to the original Greek and you know what Paul says? Says, rejoice in the Lord. Always. I will say it again, rejoice. Well, really? I'm, I'm supposed to always rejoice, even when I get fired from my job? Yes. Even when my kids are acting crazy and driving me up the wall? Yes. Even when I get that shut-off notice for my utilities or I get that eviction notice for my landlord, yes. Even when that loved one that's been a part of my life for the last 50 years passes away, even then, yes, even then. Even when my dog doesn't like me. Yeah, even when your dog doesn't like you. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. That doesn't mean that we don't feel pain. It doesn't mean we don't experience heartache. It doesn't even mean we never get discouraged. But in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the heartache, in the midst of the discouragement, we reach up and we choose joy anyway. In the midst of our pain, in the midst of our heartache and discouragement, we choose joy because Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and love. Your pile of bills does not change the fact that Jesus lived and died for you because He loves you more than life itself. Loved ones staying or leaving does not change the fact that Jesus Christ is preparing a place for you in heaven so your faith and hope can rest confidently in Him. Him. Even when your dog hates you, there is joy in the Lord. Ultimately if I have to choose between Jesus loving me or Fido loving me, I'm going to pick Jesus loving me every time. Every time. Every time. I'm going to choose Jesus loving me. I'm going to choose his hope. I'm going to choose his peace. I'm going to choose his joy. Many Christians point to Philippians four thirteen as one of their favorite verses in the Bible. Many of you know it. I can do all things through Isn't that a great verse? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But most of us who like that verse don't know the context of that verse. Do you know what it says in the prior three verses leading up to Philippians 4.13? Take a look. Look at Philippians 4, starting in verse 10. Paul writes, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. That at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ Who strengthens me? Do you see that Paul's contentment and his joy were both the result of the powerful decision he had made to trust in Jesus' life and love? He had learned the secret. How could Paul possibly do all things through Christ? He could do it because he wasn't all caught up in the things that were dragging him down. How can I possibly experience hope at Christmas when everything around me seems utterly hopeless because I'm not focused on everything around me that looks hopeless. I'm focused on the God of hope, Jesus Christ. How can I possibly, as I'm experiencing this Christmas for the first time without my loved one, how can I possibly have peace How can I possibly have peace when everything around me is chaos? And Jesus says, you can have peace in the midst of chaos because you can look up to the Prince of Peace. And as it says earlier in chapter 4, the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And remember, I like to paraphrase it this way. The peace of God that doesn't make a bit of sense. Can guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It doesn't make sense to have peace when we love our loved one and that loved one is no longer with us. It doesn't make sense to have peace when the bills are a foot high on our table. It doesn't make sense to have peace when the doctor has said you have cancer. It makes no sense here on earth, but we can have that peace anyways because we're not focused on the things of this world. We're focused on the things of heaven. And one of these days I'm going to be healed one way or another. One of these days I'm not going to have a single bill left of Pay It may be later instead of sooner, but one day, and I'm holding on to that hope, I can have His peace because I am following the Prince of Peace. And when it comes to the love, sometimes everyone around us seems so hateful, but we take hold of the love of Jesus Christ that is never hateful. And sometimes we look at our circumstances and they're anything but joyous. They're anything but happy. They're anything but pleasant. But we can have joy anyways because we're not focused on the stuff around us. We're focused on Him And he's the God of all joy. I want to tell you, if you're sinking in quicksand this Christmas season, you're not going to find your lifeline in the quicksand, are you? If you're sinking in quicksand, what do you do? You've got to look up. Someone up on top outside of that quicksand is going to have to throw you a lifeline, otherwise you're a goner. So what do you do when you're sinking in the quicksand? You look up and you reach out to that lifeline that someone throws to you. And when you take hold of that lifeline, you don't doubt whether or not they're going to hold it tight enough because this is desperate, this is life and death. You're going to hold on to that lifeline with everything you've got. And so when you're swimming and drowning in that muck and that mire and the circumstances are so terrible around you, take hold of that lifeline of hope and love and joy that Jesus Christ offers you and don't doubt Him. Don't question Him. Just take hold of it and hold on for dear life. And He will bring you out of what you're going through, I guarantee you. You may be in those circumstances for a while, just like those shepherds were, but you keep holding on to Him, and one day your day will come, and He will set you free. And in the meantime, He will give you that hope and that peace and that love and that joy you need to survive in those circumstances you are in. On that first Christmas, God offered us good news of great joy, and joy has a name. His name is Jesus. I came across a true story last week that I think will bless you as I close this message. Messina, one of Napoleon's generals, suddenly appeared, and he appeared with 18,000 men before an Austrian town which had no means of defense there in the early years of World War II. The town council had nearly decided to surrender when the old dean of the church reminded them that it was Easter Sunday. And he begged them to hold services as usual and to leave the trouble in God's hands. So that's what they did. They began ringing the church bells. And as the French, with their 18,000 troops, Heard the church bells ringing joyfully. They concluded that an Austrian army had come to the defense of this small town. And so those soldiers broke rank, they broke camp, and fled in the opposite direction. Before the bells stopped ringing, all the Frenchmen had vanished. I said World War II, didn't I? This is Napoleon. What am I saying? The incident has often been duplicated in individual lives. Christians have rung the joy bells in the face of pain and sickness and poverty and fear and loneliness and all other trials. Then the joy bells have conquered. Speedily the foe has slunk away, for no enemy is quite so strong as faith accompanied with joy in Jesus." That was a blessing when I read that. I hope it's a blessing to you. In the midst of those circumstances you're dealing with, you start ringing those bells of faith and joy. And see the strength and the perseverance and the hope and the love and the joy that God brings to you through Christ. I hope that you celebrate Jesus this Christmas week and take hold Jesus of that joy that He offers. And I can't promise you that your circumstances will change immediately, but I can change I can promise you, if you choose joy, your circumstances will not overwhelm you like they have been, because you're going through them with Jesus right there with you. Lord, we come to you thanking you for the reminders this past few weeks you've given us about your hope offered in the midst of hopelessness, your peace offered in the midst of our chaos, your love offered in this world that doesn't understand love, and your joy, your unspeakable joy, that we can choose in the midst of our circumstances. Lord, it's so hard when we're here on earth To not be fixated on all the stuff going on around us that pulls us down. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to lift our eyes above the quicksand. Look our eyes and focus them on you. And take hold of that lifeline that you offer. Lord, I pray especially for those here today who are hurting. Lord, do give them the peace and the hope and the love and joy that they need today. And give us the faith to trust in You in the midst of what we deal with. In Jesus' name.